is important to choose God's word above all other popular opinion. Brother Barry expounds on today's episode of Through the Bible. Through the Bible is recorded live at Winrock Baptist Church in Abilene. I've had the notes for this sermon for for some time, and uh, I, I tried to put them together once, and it it didn't seem to work out, and and I was really feeling like this is what the Lord wanted me to do this morning, and I tried to put it together again, and it didn't seem to be working out, and I'm like, well, Lord, how come you want me to do this, but it's not working out, and I suddenly realized something, and that is. In order to do this, I'm going to have to break every rule there is about what a good sermon is. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you all a bad sermon. Uh, you know, you you taught, you know, and Brother Ernie would tell you when he went to Bible college, they'll tell you, you know, there's kind of some certain rules that you go by when you present things to people to maintain their interest and to uh, get the point across and, and a sermon should be... Uh, put together in certain ways, and 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 those those things are good. They they really are, and they're very helpful. And the these are things that really the Bible does teach, and that men have observed them. But <clears throat> uh, on this particular subject, I've realized if I try to put it in what's called good sermon form, it's not going to be what God wants me to do. So we're not going to do that. We're going we're gonna to do it the way I think God wants me to do it. Uh, so this is not a classical sermon form. It's not going to have the classic illustration. Instead, I'm going to end it with a Bible lesson. Uh, but what I want to talk to you about today is choosing the truth. Choosing the truth. And I want to start out in my favorite chapter in the Bible, and that's Psalms 119. Psalms 119. Now, I'm going to go over quite a few scriptures today, but you're just going to have to bear with me because I think that's what God wants me to do. So that's what we're going to do. Now, in Psalms 119... And one of the reasons that I love Psalms 119 so much is because Psalms 119 expresses David's love for God's Word. And in many different ways, and in over ten different specific terms, in 72 verses, David expresses his love for God's Word. For God's truth in our life. That's what it is. And as we as we get started here, and we read Psalms 119, I'm going to read verse 1. It says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious and holy Father, Lord, we just thank you so much. We thank you what our what your word means to each one of us in the special way that your word talks to each one of his servants. And Lord, we just pray 
that we would observe this morning the different ways that your word can be expressed, Lord, and that your truth is all that really matters, Lord. We just pray that each person here receive a blessing for their attendance, receive a blessing for their heart turns towards you, for their receptiveness of your word, Lord, for our willingness to understand and to love your precepts and your law. Lord, I just pray that you be with us throughout the remainder of this service, that you'd help me to recall the things which I've studied, that you help me to be in some small way a lifter up of your honor and your glory. Be with us throughout the remainder of this service. Forgive us of our sins and forgive us where we failed you. In your son Jesus' precious name, amen. So in this first verse here, he calls God's word the law, you know. And people have a tendency to want to um, differentiate between the law, between the commandments, between all these uh, different types of God's word. But David, interestingly enough, ties them all together in Psalms 119. In verse 2, he says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies, the Bible, and that seek him with the whole heart. That means don't keep anything back in your heart if you're seeking after the truth of God's word. Don't keep anything back. Turn your heart towards God. That's what he wants. And he says, I will give you a blessing to have a heart with that type of attitude. Verse 3, they also do iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts, the Bible, diligently. O that thy ways were directed to keep thy statutes, the Bible. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments, the Bible. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments, the Bible. I will keep thy statutes, the Bible. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed unto according to thy word, the Bible. The Bible is God's holy word, folks. We need to be careful and we need to jealously guard God's Bible because the devil is out there like a, a lion seeking who he can, de, can uh, devour. And not only that, who he can confuse because the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. Therefore, the devil is the author of confusion. He's the one who seeks to put confusion in the hearts of people so that they won't listen and their hearts will be darkened that they gain not understanding of his word. That's the devil doing that, folks. He does it with the television. He does it with radio. He does it with TV. He does it with all these different Bible versions that say different things and phrase things in different ways and they confuse people. God's not the author of confusion. Verse 10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Here's what keeps a person. You want to know what if you're doing right? You know, people say, well, I just don't know what the right thing is to do. 
I don't know what the right decision is to make. The right decision is to do what this book tells you to do and adhere to it strictly. That's the right decision that you can make. You want to know what you're doing that's right? It's what God says for you to do. You know? You, you remember somebody not completely insignificant? The first king of Israel, King Saul, God sent him out to uh, slay some enemies, and he said, I want you to slay them utterly. I don't want you to bring anything back. I want you to kill ever sheep, goat, cow, everything. Don't you bring nobody or nothing back. And Samuel met him on the road coming back. And he said, how it goes with you? He said, I've done everything the, the Lord told me to do. And he said, well, why is it that I hear the sheep bleeding and the cows lowing? Well, I brought them back because I wanted to sacrifice them to the Lord. And you remember what Samuel said? He said, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. How are you going to be obedient to God if you don't have his truth? If you don't hide it in your heart and know that it's true and that it's right, how are you going to know that? How are you going to know if you don't have your whole heart toward turn towards him, seeking the truth? How are you going to know? And David just continues to go on and, and tell more and rejoice in God's word and how important it is. He says, with my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much in all the riches. He said, I'd rather have your word than material things. Than earthly happiness, your word is what does everything for me. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will meditate. That, that's the things that he's going to think on. Are the ways of God and his precepts that are contained in God's holy word. David said, that's what I'm going to meditate on. If that's all you meditate on, how could you go far wrong? Folks, I'm going to tell you that sin in a person's life develops when they put their mind and begin to think about something else. Sin, sin's not arbitrary and it's not instant. It's something that people think about, okay? It starts here. That's where sin starts. We think about uh, horrible, terrible things that we can't even mention that human beings do, and we think, how does that person do that? I'll tell you how they do those things. They dwell on those bad things. They think about those bad things, and they stick them in here, and they think about them until they become sin against God. That's how it happens. Dwell upon the good things of God. Dwell upon His perfect precepts, upon His truth, upon His commandments, upon His statutes, upon every bit of it, on the Old Testament, on the New Testament. It's all for you, the Bible says. Every word's not to you, but it's all for you. It's all edifying to read every bit of it and to think on it and to study it and to develop a love for what's true and for what's right before God. There's nothing more important that you're ever going to do in your life than that. But the world today will seek to draw you away from that. 
And who does the Bible tell us is the ruler of this world? Satan is the ruler of this world. He is the one that seeks to pull you away from what the truth is. Do not let Satan do that. Dwell on the truth. That's what David's telling you here. He's telling you, he's telling you the perfect way to do, to live, to be before God. Verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statues. I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Hey, we all want to live tomorrow for, a, for some reason. We think, well, we'd like to be here tomorrow because we'd like to do this. We'd like to be here tomorrow because we'd like to do that. How about, do you want to be here tomorrow so that you can do something according to God's word? How, how, how good of a goal would that be for tomorrow? You know, is that what we want to do for tomorrow? Do we want to be here tomorrow so we can do something that will be right and pleasing before God according to His very Word, David says? Not just what our idea is, but what David said God's Word is and what God, what's important to God. Why does it matter to us? Because the New Testament tells us that David penned the things that he penned according to the Holy Spirit from the mouth of God. And then God said in that that there, David was a man after my own heart. He had, that, he had God's heart, man. That's a big deal. It's a real big deal. You know, I, I, I've told you all this before, and, and, I, and I'm not the least bit ashamed of it. I like to brag about it a little bit. When I was a little kid, I didn't care nothing about being Superman because my heroes were in the Old Testament. My heroes were... That little shepherd boy, David, that stood in front of a, a, a towering giant that was yards taller than him. And he did it with nothing but God. And he defeated it. My hero was a servant named Moses who stood before the Red Sea and did this and it parted for him because God was with it. My heroes were a man named Joshua. That when everybody else was wanting to ignore the truth and worship idols and do things displeasing to God that he said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Folks, that's the kind of heroes kids should have. Not what you find on the big screen. Or in a storybook. Because you know why? Because them folks was real. They are real. They're real people who did real things. They're not just stories. You can't, you can't beat that. You can't beat... I can't wait to talk to some of those men. I can't wait to see Samson. You know? I want to see him. I bet he makes Arnold Schwarzenegger look like a little kid. You know? Those were my heroes. And those are men that were admirable because they put their lives and their whole heart before the Lord. Putting your whole heart before the Lord means that you don't hold nothing back. That you open it up and you say, here it is. Why? Why? Would it be a bad thing to want to be like King David? 
Yeah, he, was he perfect? No. Did he do some things he shouldn't have? You betcha. But folks, God said some things about him he never said about another person. John the Baptist. What a fantastic man, John the Baptist. Jesus said, never was a man born a woman like John the Baptist. Wouldn't you like him to say that kind of thing about you? What a blessing. A blessing you can take with you better than anything you're going to get down here in this world. Something eternal. Verse 20. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. This is how we gain the favor of God, is by keeping his word of truth. This is how we do it, folks. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did did meditate in thy statutes. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. Make me to understand the way of the precepts, so that I shall talk of thy wondrous works. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. You want to know how to get all these things that David's telling you? He tells you right here. Verse 29, Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. The truth of God is a choice, folks. It's a choice people make. People choose to believe or to not believe what something's true. And what you believe, if something's true or not, doesn't make it true, and doesn't make it false. The truth is the truth, no matter what. But David says, I have chosen the truth. I chose it. He doesn't say, God chose me and made me see the truth, and that it's going to be before me, and I'll accept it when I see it. No, he said, I opened my whole heart, and I chose the truth. I chose it. We, as human beings on this planet, at some point in our lives have got to make this decision to determine if Jesus was who he said he was and if he told the truth about everything and if we're going to believe it. This book is full of God's truths. This is the longest chapter in the Bible. It just continues to go on. But what I've just told you is kind of a little summary 
of what David wanted us to know, what he wanted us to see, what he wants to feel, what he wants to identify with. You'd see how David's very being was centered around the truth in God's word. Folks, that's why David was a man after God's own heart. That's why. Okay? It wasn't because he looked down and said, Oh, that David, he's a sweet boy. It wasn't that at all. It was because David said, I care what's truth, and I'm going to open my heart to your truth, God. And God said, Well, you're a man after my own heart. That's the way it was. That's what the Bible's telling us here. You know, 1 John uh, chapter 1 and verse 6 says that people uh, do the opposite of what David is says. They choose to believe lies and walk in darkness. They choose it. If you believe a lie, it's because you decided to, isn't it? You know? What the truth is, is what the Bible says. Let me give you what I said was kind of an illustration, but it's it's really a little bit of a of a lesson, if you would. And that is, you know, in the New Testament, we have two genealogies of Jesus Christ, don't we? Okay, we've got we've got one that starts from the Father and goes down through the Son all the way to Jesus Christ. And then we have another one that starts at the Son, Jesus Christ, and goes all the way up, back up to God the Father, through Adam. Right? Now the one is in Matthew chapter 1, the other one's in Luke chapter 3, and the one in Luke 3 talks about um, all these men, and it names Levi uh, a couple of three times. And people tell you and they teach that this one, this is how they describe it, that, you know, the one talks about him being of the tribe of Judah. That's the one in Matthew. And the other one talks about him being of the priestly line and that coming down from Levi, you know, because it talks about Levi there. And I'm not going to read all that, but you can read it. But y'all know what I'm talking about. And so... The one that comes down from the Levi, that would be the priestly line, right? And so they say, well, you know, he's of that priestly line of Levi. And that's what most seminaries teach and everything else. But what if I told you that ain't true? What if I told you that's not true? You'd say, well, it talks about Levi there. Well, you know, I was taught that Jesus was descended from the priestly line on Levi, and I was taught that he was descended uh, through David on the to be of the tribe of Judah on the other side, and I accepted that as being a fact and never really studied on it too much. But if you study the genealogies, actually, that you find in Luke chapter 3, you'll discover them Levi's in there are not the priestly Levi's. And if you just you go back through the Bible and see where those lines come from, 
guess what? They're not the priestly line. And the Bible never said that. But that's men who said that. The Bible said he comes from the tribe of Judah? You betcha. In many places it says that. Does the Bible ever say he comes from the tribe of Levi, the priestly line? Nope, it don't say that at all. Now, people will argue that with you. But turn, turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. I've had pastors of church tell me what, you know, that, that, that he's of the tribe of Levi. And if I tell them he's not, they don't believe me. But look here. Hebrews chapter 7. Let's start in verse 11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest that should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Now, if you remember back in the Old Testament, there was this priest that just kind of came up out of nowhere named Melchizedek, and nobody seemed to know where he came from. And there's a great deal of theory, and I believe it has some merit, that perhaps this is what is referred to as a theophany, which is an appearance of the pre-carnate Jesus Christ. But it really doesn't matter. Melchizedek was not of the priestly line, but he was a priest, okay? And Abraham recognized this. But it says he's not of the order of Aaron. That was the the priestly line, the Levitical line. Verse 12, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things were spoken pertaineth to another tribe. Okay? Of which no man gave attendance at the altar. Out of this other tribe he's talking about. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. Of which tribe Moses spake concerning nothing about the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for after the similitude of Melchizedek there will riseth another priest. In other words, another priest is going to have to come after the order of Melchizedek. Now that's prophetic, and we've all heard that before. Who is made not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Not of Aaron, not of the Levitical line, but after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king but not of the Levitical order, not of the Aaron's line. And the Bible says that. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and the unprofitability thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made a priest. Okay? Not without a note. The pre- How were the priests determined in the Old Testament? They determined them because of who your daddy was, wasn't it? Isn't that who it was? And how many times did these sons of pretty good priestly fathers weren't worth a darn? They weren't any good at all. They didn't care about God. How many times? 
So God says, I'm going to make a perfect priest. It's not made out of this line, nor made from any kind of oath. For those priests were made without an oath, but this is with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, talking about Jesus, because he continued forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he, for, he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest came unto us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens who needed not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once, then he offered up himself. Now, doesn't that clearly explain why Jesus is not of the Levitical line? But I'm going to tell you, probably seven out of ten preachers you talk to will tell you he was. Because there's some fellas named Levi and that other deal. But if you get to look in there, they were not the Levi that placed Jesus in, the, in that line. That, that line actually followed right back through David just like the other. It simply confirmed what was already told about Jesus being a son of David. Jesus being of the tribe of Judah. The Bible said Jesus is the only priest of his line after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a priest that God made, not man. Now tell me, which thing is truth? That Jesus was of the tribe of Judah on his mother's side and of the tribe of uh Levi on his earthly father's side, so some what people claim. That's not what the Bible says, is it? Not what it says. Did I read one verse and take it out of context? No. I read three-fourths of a whole chapter. And you can keep reading. It keeps telling you the same thing. It'll keep reaffirming what I just said. But that's the truth. Okay? But I talked to a guy one time, and because he had been to seminary, I guess, I don't know what his problem was, he said that. I thought, well, I'm going to show him something. And so I tried to share that with him, and he said, nah, he's of the tribe of Levi. Well, but Hebrews said he wasn't. It said that he... God necessitated that he couldn't be from the earthly priestly line. That he had to be from God's priestly line. Because folks, Jesus is a priest like no other priest. Jesus can do things no other priest could do. The Pope in Rome cannot forgive your sins, but Jesus Christ can. The Pope can't talk to God, but Jesus Christ can. 
Jesus Christ is my advocate before the Father. And that blood gives me a clear path, a clear shot to talk to God, and that's the only thing that provides it. And the only way we get that is if we have a priest ordained by God in heaven. And he explains it. And that's the truth. But you can show people truth in the Bible sometimes. And because they learned it at a seminary, or they learned it from somebody they care a lot about, or somebody they respect, or whatever, they're not going to change their mind. They'll just shake their head and say no. And according to David, that person doesn't have their heart open towards God, do they? Isn't that the most important thing? If we're going to get the truth of what God has for us, if we're going to be able to understand the truth, if we're going to be able to accept what the truth is, hey, it's a whole lot more convenient. It's a whole lot more fun to believe the lies and go along with them because, folks, God's truth is a hard thing. It's a hard thing. But David said it's full of blessing, and it's the only thing that I want to do And I want to meditate on. And that's the way every single one of us should be. Jesus said, Whosoever believeth on me hath everlasting life. He didn't put a bud after it. He didn't say and. He didn't say anything else. He said, whosoever believeth on me hath everlasting life. Do you believe on Jesus Christ today? Are you depending upon that priest to apply the blood to that altar in heaven to take care of your sins? I want to get our pianist and our song leader to come. And we're going to have a word of invitation. And I want you to ask yourself, deep in your heart, do you believe on Jesus Christ? What number are we going to sing? 566. Number 566. Folks, there ain't no reason to leave here today. 
without knowing Jesus. Ain't no reason. You can talk to most anybody about it if you need to. But we're always available. We thank you for your attention in today's lesson. If you would like to attend a class in person, classes are held every Sunday at 10 a.m. at 4340 Edgemont Drive in Abilene, Texas.